Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 26, 2016, and this is episode 182. My name is Jake English. I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. If you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network over at baltimoresportsreport.com and on baseballtalkradio.com. You can find this show on third-party platforms like Google Play Music and iTunes. And please, if you do, rate and review this show. We greatly appreciate it. Lastly, find us all over social media, Facebook, Google+, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, but best of all, on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Scott Magnus, it is time for the most important uh, part of the week. What is your drink of the week? Jake, I will be drinking a dogfish head pumpkin ale but can you do me a favor here really quickly i'm listening I, we kind of rushed into the show never got a chance to open my bottle so do you mind uh taking care of that for me and yeah. uh you only serve one good skill set here and that's basically popping open a beer bottle with your hand so um yeah, uh, yeah. pumpkin is it that time already uh it's a crisp like 50 degrees out at night yep it's a uh, time for pumpkin ales yeah crap bring me back my grapefruit mm, pumpkin I am drinking a gin and tonic uh, with tonic you or with a gin you provided. I'm drinking a, a shot tower. This is really good. Yeah. I've heard you talk about this before. I don't think I've ever had it. This is really good. Yeah. Would so, have finished off my bottle. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, Thanks, yeah. Thanks, Thanks, yeah. This is really good. No, if you are a gin person, both of you out there that must be, uh, make sure you give it a shot. It is, it is very highly. I think you can get it for like only like 25 to $28 a bottle, depending on where you're getting it from. So definitely highly recommended. Support local businesses. Uh, such as Baltimore Shot Tower Jet. All right. Now, if you are drinking beer and would like to drink along with us, you can follow us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025 and Scott's at MAGN8606. I will never post Bud Light Lime to Untapped, unlike Jake English. Hey, if it is purchased for me, it's going to get drank. All right. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble into the medical wing. Wait for it. There it is. It's always okay. Always. All right. Enough of that. All the kids. We're going on to more serious matters here. So, Jake, um, really one only, I guess, big news item, which was Kevin Gossman getting his start pushed back from uh, Sunday. Uh, hopefully, he's going to make it Tuesday. But it certainly still seems like we're going to have to, it's a wait and see. I had intercostal tweak. Um, mentioned that uh, this happened during the Boston series. Buck mentioned that it could possibly be due to some dehydration. Uh, said he felt good after his last bullpen. 
um, but still not something you really want to be going into on the last week of the season. And dude, when everything else is going wrong, I don't want to hear that Kevin Gosman, one of the few pitchers not out there throwing flames, has something wrong with his rib cage. Well, funny part about this was uh, it came out to the beat writers that uh, there was a pitcher um, experiencing health issues in the rotation and immediately just like, well, I guess that would have to be Dylan Bundy because he's probably going to get shut down or something like that. Oh, wait, not Dylan Bundy? Okay, hang on. Let me cross that. Uh, it must be T- Chris Tillman because Chris Tillman's Gr- had problems. So it's got to be, be him. Great right? point. Yeah. No, not no, him. Okay, okay, not him. Cross that off the list. Um, uh, is Giovanni Gallardo got a shoulder problem again? Is that? No. no okay, not cross that it, When it came out that it was Gosman, I was like, oh, crap. Really? Yeah. So again, the Orioles, once again, putting themselves behind the eight ball with the injury. Jake, there's one obvious um, solution to this never happening again. Uh, powder donuts and milk need to be provided within <laughs> the dugout um, in between innings. And by doing so, um, at least you're providing calcium slash uh, hydration along with it. I like that. I, I like that. You know, maybe we need to go back to the milk mustache ad campaign with... Uh, with, with with Cal Kevin. and everything like yeah. that? No, yeah. with Kevin Gosman. Mm, yeah, but we really don't want to see a mustache on Kevin Gosman, do we? No. All right. So much. All right. Let's go to 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. First tweet is from Sam Abate at Sam Abate. Listening to at Bird's Eye View BAL on the way to school this morning, and my two-and-a-half-year-old dropped a perfectly timed go when Ferris Bueller came on. All right. The fact that there are children listening makes me incredibly nervous. It's really nervous. It's kind of like when our Twitter account got followed by the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Yeah. I just like sweat as I started to yeah. just scroll through the timeline wondering what we had said. It really makes me think I need to put more coin sounds into this podcast, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, Jake, uh, the series highlights from the Red Sox series were pretty much non-existent if you were a Baltimore Orioles fan. But there was one moment that I think all of Birdland collectively smiled at. This comes from the Baltimore Orioles Twitter feed at Orioles, who, hey, have been interactive on social media and not just putting out just, you know, random stuff that's just like, well, anybody could put that out. Actually kind of being a little sassy is the best way to describe it. They've been it. much better this year. And I think lately, like in the last month or so, they've really turned up their game. So yeah. Orioles, well done. I'm yeah, sorry. So, I, I totally... so whoever graduated from college and is now running that account, <laughs> bravo. Um, so this tweet goes as follows. Our gift to David Ortiz, the exact authenticated visiting dugout phone he smashed on July 27, 2013. All right. There was another tweet earlier this week, too, from Camden, Camden Chad, Chad yep. which was the uh, slow troll draw, um, basically holding onto a phone for three years and then giving it to him. Personally, I don't think it's the same phone. I know they want to make think it's the same phone, and I know they just want to say it's authenticated. But just looking at the damage of it, I feel like the other bullpen phone had a lot more damage to it than this phone that was presented. Look, sports fans in general, and Orioles fans particularly, are conspiracy theorists, and I don't think it's a good idea for you to start putting things in their heads. All right. Uh, next one. Um, well, here's a conspiracy theory that actually I, I'm kind of curious about. There's been a lot of talk about Buck Showalter hating on Hunsu Kim. Um, this tweet comes from John Mioli. You can follow him at John Mioli, local beat reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Highly recommended Twitter follow. Drew Stubbs pinch hits for Kim in a one-run game. It's a left-right thing, but come on. On his freaking t-shirt night. On his freaking t-shirt night. Um, now, it's it's just kind of absolutely ridiculous. Now, to be fair, this tweet actually came out on Sunday's game. Michael Bourne was the one that substituted for him on the t-shirt night. 
Oh, so what you're telling me is it's a scheduled tweet. It is a scheduled tweet that comes out every single time. It gets around in the seventh inning, and, uh, well, oh, look, there's a lefty on the mound. We immediately have to re- take out Hunsu Kim. We, we talked about this, actually, with one of our friends um, kind of coming home from Friday night's game, um, and it was, well, Hunsu Kim really can't hit left-handed pitchers, and it's like, I would really like to see an extended sample size right. where he gets a chance to prove that concept out, because... His KBO numbers certainly indicate that he is able to hit left-handed pitching. We haven't seen him not hit lefties. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. All right. The next tweet. Uh, this comes from a place of spite in my heart, so I apologize in advance. This Jake is, English spite? Uh, wow. No. Imagine that. This is a tweet from uh, someone by the handle of Z Spice at Z underscore Spice with a wonderful picture of some folks uh, getting a, a picture with Adam Jones, and it says... Hanging with at simply AJ10, played a great game today, and then came out to raise money for Alzheimer's Maryland uh, at CSN Orioles at Orioles. Now, here's my question, Scott. Yeah. Where are the people telling to shut up and focus on baseball? Uh, I think they were probably focusing on the NFL game since this event happened on a Sunday. Mm. Adam Jones is a good guy. A real good guy. Uh, next tweet comes from Dan Zimbroski. You can follow him at D Zimbroski. Um, if neither the Rockies or Dodgers ever score, then we can keep Scully. It's a solid plan. Solid plan, except, well, people like to finish baseball games eventually, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, he will be missed. He will he, be missed. He is certainly a, an icon, a baseball institution, and it's a shame that we won't be hearing any more from him. Yep. Lastly, on the Twitters, uh, this comes from uh, Baltimore Dave S., Dave Stevenson, who says, usually I wear an Orioles hat to O's games, but today it's a Marlins hat. R.I.P. Jose Fernandez. And it's a picture of him in his orange Miami Marlins hat. And uh, I tip my cap. That's a, that's a nice way to remember him. So well done, Dave. Absolutely. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, go around the bases, talk about a few things that are going on in baseball, but primarily what's going on in Birdland. Hey, Scotty, if it's all right with you, I'd like to go back uh, and touch for just a moment on the Jose Fernandez issue. Sure. Uh, We all woke up on Sunday to the horrible news that he had died in a boating accident, and uh, the baseball world is rocked right now. And it's not because a promising young pitcher at uh, 24 has died, uh, someone with so much life in front of him. That's not the reason. And it's not because uh, he was a great pitcher, though he was. The reason that everyone is so upset about this is because Jose Fernandez is a person who is universally heralded as being an even better human being than he was baseball player. And we can't, uh, you know, we can't pretend like we here in Baltimore know much about him. But the players that played with him, the media that covered him, the fans that rooted for him, and the fans that rooted against him are all devastated by the loss. And I think that it's kind of morbidly beautiful in a way that we are all so taken aback by this because we're all so often reminded that things are bigger than baseball. And this is one of those things that is bigger than baseball. And yet it also kind of shows the beauty of baseball and the fact that we can express a bit of shared humanity through the game that we love. And that Jose Fernandez showed so much joy in playing. And when you look at images like, 
uh, the canceling of a baseball game or the retirement of a jersey or the moments of silence all across the league, including one that I want to recognize in Tropicana Field where David Ortiz, a man I love to hate on for having an ego the size of this state, asked the Rays to put aside a on-field presentation to him so as not to detract attention from where our, our minds and hearts ought to have been. It's crazy to me that the loss of this young man has us, through baseball and in other ways, expressing a shared humanity, uh, realizing that the things in this world that matter, hugging our children a little tighter. And uh, the last thing that I saw about uh, Jose Fernandez before I walked in to the studio was uh, a couple of images from the game tonight. One, I think it was D. Gordon. Yes. Hitting a home run. D. Gordon. Um, in tears by the time he got back. So uh, D. Gordon came to the plate. He hasn't hit a home run all season. Um, in fact, I think he's only got like 12 home runs over his entire career. Uh, is wearing Jose Fernandez's batting helmet um, and hits the home run um, to lead off the game for the Miami Marlins. So uh, pretty, pretty special. And then, of course, being braced by all of his team and him basically just everyone bawling their eyes out within the dugout, which, again, you're not, you're not used to seeing um, – stoic individuals again there's no crying in baseball you're not expecting to see men in general but men on a baseball field ever cry like they're doing right now um and it just definitely takes it's a different aspect to the game on this evening i also saw images of the mets and the marlins players kind of hugging it out almost like a little league receiving line yes before the game and that was another thing that you know that's not common in baseball no you know it may happen after a college basketball game or you know other sports but uh in baseball it's, again, one of those things where we just took it, uh, some time out to say, this is important. This is what really matters. Sure. And, uh, so anyway, I wanted to make sure we talked about it. There's one more moment, and um, it, I think it really responds well to an audio format. So um, uh, right before the game started, before anything happened, um, everyone took the field, um, and there was a moment of silence. And then immediately following the moment of silence, um, this was played. And I thought this is a really um, great way to describe the whole situation. Um, that is going about. Jake, um, I quote as follows, baseball is a lot like life. It's a day-to-day existence full of ups and downs. You make the most of your opportunities in baseball as you do in life. That is from uh, famous Hall of Fame announcer Ernie Harwell, who actually was um, the Orioles announcer during 1954 through 1959, um, more famous for being with the Detroit Tigers organization. But it it comes back to um, that notion that – there's so many similarities between um, the day in and day out aspect of life. Um, a lot of times um, baseball is ostracized for being a boring game, 
a game of white noise. We've actually spoken that before where it's kind of nice to see that. But it's those highs and lows that really make it um, very special. Um, it's, you know, looking at the entire 162-game season, it's hard to pick out certain games and be like, well, what exactly happened on July 12th? Like, you can't think about that. But if you go back and think through the highs and lows, just like you would life, you're able to pick out moments almost like a picture book and just kind of talk about it and tell stories to a certain regard. And while Sunday finished on, while Sunday started on a really, you know, down note, um, really, you know, a a horrible, tragic event, the day capped off um, with, you know, a truly magical moment with, you know, Vin Scully sitting in the broadcast booth, being with the uh, with the Dodgers organization since 1958 and being able to call a walk-off home run to allow the Dodgers to clinch the division. As it said in Moneyball, how can you not be romantic about baseball? There's just something about it that cannot be matched by any sport. And you have to take the the downs and the ups just like life in baseball. Just like you've got to take the downs and ups over a single week um, when your team is going up and down um, on the roller coaster ride, which is playoff baseball. Man, that was a that was a artful segue. That was like B Morons esque segue. Man. So we're going to go into second base now. Um, tip the cap again once more um, to the Jose Fernandez and to the Marlins organization. Um, thoughts and prayers are with everyone um, within Major League Baseball that was touched by him. But going into second base, um, it certainly was an up and down. Uh, situation for the Baltimore Orioles um, in this past week going into the Red Sox series I know you and me were both very excited for it Um, we basically said yeah you know what they're probably not going to get um, you know a sweep or anything like that but even if they could take three out of four they would be in prime position to be one game back and potentially be right there in order to get the division and and let's just stop for a second there yeah. because the Orioles had a really good road trip. Oh yes, absolutely. They, they had a really good road trip, six and three, and um, came back to the point in which you 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 looked at the standings and you looked at the teams that were in front of them and you said, "Oh my goodness, they have a chance here." Yes, and it, and it's not to say that that these teams are rolling over and, and not even the Rays who played the Yankees tough before coming into Baltimore, and and then you know the Red Sox and then the Yankees and the, and the uh, Blue Jays. But you looked at the numbers and you said, oh my gosh, the Orioles at this late state in the game have a chance here. This is their season. They can do with it as they please. And that's what was so exciting to me, to see them come home and have the opportunity to do that. Had a rough series with the Rays. It was uh, disheartening to see them get the split because that's the team you're supposed to collect the wins on, right? Sure. But I tell you what, those Rays, they're going to be kingmakers at some point. Uh, They're going to have as much to say about the AL East as anybody else, right? Yeah, I mean, I think to a, to a certain regard, they're definitely going to have um, some bit of a say. But uh, outside of the race series, I mean, it's still come back to splitting the race series wasn't the, the death knell. No, not at all. The death knell came back to you went into the Red Sox series and said, you really, this is the big series. Like, you know, this is going to make or break the division. If the Orioles can outperform the Red Sox, you're going to be able to get that division. It, it was also that they, there was one thing yeah. they couldn't do. There was one thing that the Orioles could sure. not do in that four-game series against the Red Sox, and that was lose all four games. Right. And the weird thing is, like, you set your entire rotation around it. Like, for example, we specifically move folks around during that race series. Is like, we want to be in perfect position so that when we go against the Red Sox, 
we're coming with our best effort going forward. And everything sucked. Everything. Yes. And, and look, I'm not harping on the attendance thing. It's just that like any other Boston series, there was a lot of Red Sox fans. There were a lot of them in the in the ballpark. And so every hit and every pop-up and every time something bad happened, there was a reminder that we were uncomfortable in our own, in our own space. Stacy uh, F- Fulkemer, I, yeah. I was trying not to say long. No Stacy Fulkemer over at, Ch- at Camden Chat wrote a really great piece about it. But everything sucked. The pitching yep. was a mess. The hitting went quiet. Yep. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong during that Red Sox series did. It was as close within a four-game series to being Dark Ages baseball as there ever were. Um, it, it was not fun baseball to watch. You kind of just wanted to turn it off. And uh, social media was an absolute um, nightmare is the best way to describe it. I'll admit it. I was pretty salty. Really? I was pretty salty. Imagine that. And uh, you know, during the the series with the Rays and the and the Red Sox, I was trying to figure out how to manage my emotions. I feel like it's a little bit better since the the Diamondback series has taken place. But I was uh, I was chewing on some emotions that I really haven't had since I would say 2014 when we lost to the ALCS. And I, I thought, you know, in preparation of this particular podcast, Scott, what were we going to say about the possible return? to Dark Ages Baseball, and I think this might be the best way to do it. I brought a little something. Will you, uh, will you play it? Hello, Dark Ages, my old friend. Looks like the O's are here again. We see that staff ERA creeping And the mighty offense sleeping And the vision Camden Yards still hits me hard. This is the sound of silence. With runners on, can't drive them home. Narrow leads they cannot hold. Blowing games that they can't afford. The horrors of the out of town scoreboard. And the outfield defense was a truly sickening sight Trumbo and right This is the sound of silence And attendance big as show Ten thousand people, maybe more People running without scoring People throwing without pitching People hitting dawns That voices never share Cause no one's there To disturb the sound of silence Who said I you do not know This season has some games to go Playoffs are a possibility If this team regains ability But my words like Babbitt bloops just fell Echo in the wells of silence 
soon people clap and cheer Even though that claymation bird is weird And the sign flashed out its warning In the words that it was forming And the sign said that Oriole's magic is written on the warehouse wall And long fly balls I hope Paul Simon sues you for every bit of money you have. Yeah, good luck to him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's probably got enough money to deal with anything he wants to do. He's got enough money to tour baseball. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Baseball he did come to the Oriole Park, didn't he? And the Pirates, Pirates game, the game yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Look, it was Dark Ages baseball. It, every night, it, it was, was Hello Darkness, my old it, friend. It was very Dark Ages baseball is the best way to describe it. Um, but it, it did get better. Right? I mean, the, the Diamondback series was exactly what the doctor ordered. Uh, the Diamondback series was right as it ordered. Um, but let's be honest with ourselves. Um, it wasn't um, without its flaws is the best way to describe it. So, yes, the Orioles did walk away with a three-game series win. But uh, you can't argue that it wasn't nail-biting and probably closer than it needed to be. That Diamondbacks team um, was playing pretty much terrible baseball is the best way to describe it. And, and and already had their their golf clubs packed for quite some time. Right. Um but I was actually looking at the Diamondbacks um offensive statistics this past week. Twenty nine weighted runs created plus is what the Diamondbacks offense put up this past week. And yet the Orioles had to scratch and scrape to get out a game on Friday night and barely hold on to a game on Sunday. Sure, Saturday's game was a complete, you know, it was better laughing, team, yeah. being a war- worse team. But Friday and Sunday were very close to being losses. I mean, I understand the team came back and won it, but they did not get any style points in the process. I'm sure Buck Showalter would have something to say about your use of the word style points. Yes. Here's the thing. The Orioles, for better or for worse, are back in the driver's seat for the wild card two position. Absolutely. So They're a game and a half ahead of, of Detroit. Yep. And a game and a half behind the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep. I think it's really funny if you look at the playoff odds, which I, I think are hilarious. Um, definitely some reflection of value. Going into the Red Sox series, the Orioles were at 74.5% in terms of playoff odds. Yeah. And then at the end of the Red Sox series, 33.9%. And now they're back at 67.2%. And it's a whole mash of everything like that's going on with the Tigers at the time and everything. But... It's just amazing how we've talked about this whole season. The Orioles are a completely streaky team where they're going up and down, up and down. And right now, it certainly looks like their playoff odds over this past week have demonstrated as, as that as well. I certainly wouldn't say I gave up on the team um, as of Thursday, but it was the first time I think all season I said, I'm not sure if this team is going to get to the playoffs. Oh, no. I think that's totally legit because when we got swept, yeah, that was also the night that they got bumped out of the wild card. Right. And I thought, I mean, what? that's so poetic. Right. I mean, how more perfect can it be? Yeah. And uh, I, I tweeted out something angrily because that's what I do. And I, I tweeted, you know, like, swept out of the playoffs. And, and some uh, fan doing doing uh, God's work there said, oh, really? I didn't realize the season ended today. And I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, all right. Steve Molesky? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. It wasn't. Uh, let me. Uh, we. I've. I've stolen some thunder here from from home plate. <laughs> sure. But, uh, let me. Let me go to third base. Sure. Uh, and third base's topic is fond farewells. Hmm. 
I want to go this back. Seems eerily familiar. Yeah. I want to go back to 2015. Yeah. Because I went to a game. Yeah. Uh, in the 2015 campaign, and I thought to myself, woof. As Chris Davis rounded the base after bases after hitting a home run, I thought to myself, this might be the last time I see Chris Davis hit a home run, one that doesn't make me sad because he's hitting it for somebody else. This is the last time I might see him hit a home run in person. And I had the same experience with Wei and Chen, you know, joining the standing ovation as his final outing ended uh, at Camden Yards, knowing it was probably the last time that I was going to see him play in an Orioles uniform. And so I attended the last home game on Sunday and thought to myself, who are the players that I'm saying goodbye to for the last time? And the candidates are, are pretty obvious. I mean, you've got Matt Wieters, a very good chance he's gone. Probably, yep. Mark Trumbo, yep. pretty good chance he's gone. Pedro Alvarez, who I'm not incredibly uh, attached to. Uh, but also one that I didn't think about and didn't get the opportunity to to think about. And that's Steve Pierce. Sure. We've probably seen the end of the Steve Pierce experience here in Baltimore. I'd actually put one more name on there as well. Um, and it's a person that is not going to be a free agent, but I don't believe he's going to get tendered. Ryan Flaherty, I believe, may be playing his last days in Orioles uniform. Really? It's probably going to get a little too expensive since he's going to be going into arbitration at either two or three this upcoming year, which means that he's going to be paid somewhere around two and a half to three million dollars. One would think that a player like a Paul Yanish would be able to absorb that for a little bit cheaper cost. See, I hear you. But I think that Paul Yanish doesn't play the outfield and doesn't serve as the emergency catcher and doesn't apparently have dirty pictures of Buck Showalter's children in his closet like Ryan Flaherty That's does. a possibility. But the question I would raise is, when's the last time you saw Ryan Flaherty in a game? It's a solid question. Yeah. It is an absolute solid question. So um, let's go through the names that are not peripheral players. So Matt Wieters, I think, is one that we would I would throw out right away. Um, who's having, um, I wouldn't say a career year, but definitely having some significant impact with the Orioles and having some very clutch performances. All right, I'm really glad you said that. Because yes. here's the thing. I think overall, he's not having that great a year at the plate. Right. But, and we've said this on and on throughout the season, it always seems like it's him at the end of the game. He was the one that hit the game-tying home run on, on uh, Friday, but and that's just anecdotal evidence. But if you go back... He's always the dude that's getting the interview on the, on the Masson uh, broadcast because it always seems like he's doing this. Here's my question to you, Scotty. Sure. I think that Matt Wieters has clearly played himself out of a situation in which he's going to get a qualifying offer or any of the money associated with players that get qualifying offers, right? Mm -hmm. This organization needs a bridge to Chance Cisco, mm -hmm. And we've seen our other backup op uh, options in Caleb Joseph take a step back, major step back offensively. And the only other catcher of note that we have in the organization is Francisco Pena. If you thought that Matt Wieters could be had for, say, three years, $30 million, or three years, $40 million, would you sign Wieters as a bridge to Cisco, or would you take your luck with one of the free agent catchers out there. I would definitely go three years for 30 or $40 million because it comes back to this is a team that is only going to probably be able to compete until 2018, 2019. So you want to stack the deck as much as possible and try to have positive value. You don't want to have to risk a Caleb Joseph, Francisco Pena slash Chancisco and maybe barely get one more. I mean, Matt Wieters does have value. Um, right now, he's posting a 1.5 F war season which does not equate to being what his qualifying offer is worth. The question is, 
the Orioles have enough money available where they can basically burn some extra money in order to have that insurance policy? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it all comes back to the Manny Machado situation. Right. Right. I mean, if they if they damn the torpedoes and they buy out Manny Machado, good on them, right? It's a it's a sure. once in a generation player. But if they don't, boy howdy, it's a pretty good uh it's a pretty good business let's, strategy to go yeah. with one of the old fans' Let, favorites. Let's take Manny Machado off the table because it's a completely different scenario. But we were talking about this walking back on Sunday, um, and it's projected right now with all the arbitration players and everyone that is on the team. Um, the the payroll is going to be right around one hundred thirty five million dollars, and that's without signing a catcher and an outfielder, basically. So they would need to go out and get someone to replace Mark Trumbo, Matt Weeders, and Pedro Alvarez. Jake, if I could offer one of those players back to you um, for fifteen million dollars, which one are you picking? Fifteen million dollars would probably take Trumbo. That's what I figured. Is now if I let's come back to the same topic, which we were for three years. If you take three years, forty-five million for Matt Weeders, or three years, forty-five millions for Mark Trumbo, which one are you taking? Yeah, probably Weeders. Okay. Yeah, over the long, longer period of time. Yeah, if it's between the two, definitely Weeders. Okay, and that's that's my big question: is if it's one year, who are you going with? If it's three years, who are you going to go with? Um, I, I I think that in a realistic term, you're probably talking three years. Um, regardless, there's no way that any one of those is probably going to sign for one year deal. Um, but I. I really raised the question of, you know, what role does Mark Trumbo have, you know, on this team besides just being a DH? Um, oh, I can tell you right now. Right field? No. Okay. No, his role on this team in 2017 right. is providing a first-round draft pick. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, the, too bad we can't trade that one away, but, but whatever. <laughs> oh, sure we can. Oh, you know what we could do? We could go out and sign a starting pitching and give it away. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. All right. Well— I don't really want to talk too much about free agency because that's what the offseason is for. And um, we're still very much in this. Right. But in, in terms of any of those players, who um, who are you, you going to miss the most is the best way I would ask that question. I know you were going to miss Davis if he left. Out of those three players, who do you really want to see come back regardless of the money? Uh, for me, it's Steve Pierce. Okay. I mean, I've talked about my undying love for Steve Pierce. I mean, you know, even as a mascot, I, I, I really like rooting for that guy. Um, I'm on the fence about the Weeder situation. I don't... I don't love Weeders like, you know, I don't have a, a deep dying affection for him, but I think if the money's right, he's probably, like I said, a good guy to hang on to until your stud catcher in the minors is is ready. And for all the things that Weeders doesn't do well, and there are many, yep. I can think of worse catchers to learn from than Weeders. All right. I think the only player that I would want back, and I don't even know if I really want him back, would be Mark Trumbo. Just seeing that lineup without Mark Trumbo over the past few days um, when we were going against the Red Sox. It just made me realize how much of a hole it is just to have Davis in there at the number four slot by himself. Um, I, I think you really need one more big bat in there. And I think we demonstrated that by 2014 with Nelson Cruz and then come back in 2015 and it just felt like the lineup never was quite there. We talked about it when they signed Mark Trumbo and we said that's the kind of impact bat that you really want to put into the lineup that's going to give a little bit better protection in the middle of the order. I realized that he's a strikeout person just like Davis is to a, to a certain regard, maybe not as high in terms of K percentage. But you do need that big bopping bat in the middle of the order. Um, and if the Orioles lose that Mark Trumbo, they're going to have to go out and find somebody else that can fill that void. Well, that's the thing. You know, this this administration that the Orioles have is so bad at so many things. Developing young pitching, signing starting pitching. But what's the thing that they're actually pretty good at? One, manipulating the 40-man roster and, and building up the 40-man roster. Two, make, uh, utilizing the Rule 5 draft. And three finding horseshoes in anatomically improbable places in finding hitters for one-year contracts that will hit all the home runs in the land. So the real question is, if not Mark Trumbo, 
who's the next Mark Trumbo slash Nelson Cruz? Chris Davis. <laughs> Maybe that. No, 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 not the guy, that Chris Davis. Oh, the K Chris Davis. The K Chris Davis. There's Maybe. actually a really cool thing. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this article about barrels. Okay, so basically what it did was it, it basically there's this new terminology going around called barrels. Um, and we've talked about this before about launch angles and um, exit velocity. But the one player that had the best barrel, um, which was um, the aspect of the correct um, launch angle slash exit velocity, was uh, Chris Davis with a K. Um, but on that list, too, was like Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis was on the list, Nelson Cruz was on the list. But if you're looking for someone that is dirt cheap, um, that could probably be easily obtained, uh, Chris Davis with a K would certainly fit that mold in terms of hitting for power. But again, as Orioles fans have pointed out, we're not interested in people hitting for power. We're a small ball team, and that's the only way we're going to be competitive. And again, it's not just Camden Yards. It's playing 81 games at Camden Yards and then 19 at Fenway, right. and 19 at uh, Yankee Stadium, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know who that next uh, Mark Trumbo is. Right. All right. Um, running around home, um, we were kind of mentioning this before. Yeah, uh, sorry, I jumped again. We're entering the final week. Um, the O's are out of the division race, uh, obviously, but they're one and a half games ahead of the Tigers for the second wild card spot and one and a half games behind the Blue Jays for the first wild card spot as of Monday night. That number will change by a potato the time that you guys are listening to this because the Tigers and the Blue Jays are playing on Monday night in order to get everyone two six games left to play. Um, so we are going into the Rogers Center. Uh, the so-called House of Horrors, as it were, or the Homer Dome is what I like to call it. Um, <laughs> and, and bas- Two go in, one comes out. And are basically going to try to slug it out. But the other thing that is interesting with the Blue Jays is the Blue Jays have done a great job this year in terms of some of their starting pitching. Um, and I'll be interested to see, once again, a team with potentially better starting pitching, uh, potentially a better offense than the way the Orioles have been hitting during the second half. Um, how well they do because we were all positive about coming into the Red Sox series, but it really feels like a deja vu series to a certain regard coming in and playing the uh, playing the Blue Jays uh, it, it, this week. Um, am I wrong here? Where where why should it be feel optimistic going into this Blue Jays series? Well, I don't think that you should feel optimistic, but I feel like every time <laughs> every time we assume the Orioles have hit rock bottom. They they bounce out and either hit an even worse spot or they uh, they get out okay. And so the real question is, you know, we had rock bottom in the in the Red Sox series, and now the question is, are the Orioles going to build on the uh, the Diamondback series, or are they going to fall through the floor? Sure, right. Um, and and I I don't know which Orioles team is going to show up in Toronto. I really don't. You know, it's very possible that they'll go and they'll be rejuvenated and the pitching will not be god-awful and the bats will not get lost. You know, maybe the bats will come through customs uh, as they get to Toronto. Or it could be a team that looks incredibly outclassed by a much better team. Right. I just don't know which team is going to show up. The Orioles have been both. What's their identity? Well, depends on the day. Depends on the day. It really is one of those situations where there is no momentum in baseball. Um, momentum is just your next starting pitching starting pitcher, except for the Orioles case, it's not their starting pitcher. It's normally the starting pitcher they're going against and whether or not they're actually seeing the ball well um, coming out of that, that, that pitcher's hand and whether they're left-handed, throwing change-ups. I always come back to if it's a right-handed pitcher and they're not throwing change-ups, more than likely the Orioles are going to do great against them. If it's a left-hander or it's someone that throws a great change-up, the Orioles are going to struggle mightily for that. 
Is my imagination that the bullpen's been a little bit more stout lately? Uh, the bullpen has been very stout lately, um, just doing a great job. Um, I'm not sure if it's just a health thing or a work thing. Uh, one thing that we've talked about before, the starting pitching has been getting deeper in the games, which means that they're not being called on so often. That wasn't the case so much in the Red Sox series, but it, overall, it certainly seems like the bullpen has... Um, benefited from the 40-man roster expansion and allowing them to basically rest up and come in during key situations. So you ask what's going to happen, what are, what's going to take place in the Toronto series? Yeah. A lot of me praying. Okay. Uh, and look, you're also coming into next weekend, which is you're going against the Yankees club, who had a you know a resurgent um, second half is the best way to describe it. Um, and as soon as they shook all that dead weight, yeah, they got rid of you know everyone that we thought was going to basically bury them, and they basically been hanging in there. But over the past ten games, they've gone two and eight. Um, Dylan Batances actually came in yesterday, blew the game for the Yankees, um, allowing the Blue Jays to win. It, it certainly looks like um, things are coming to a close, and the Yankees are going to limp into the end of the season and try to get to five hundred. Um, I certainly would like to prevent them from getting to 500 just, oh, so, yes. just so that I can basically say, oh, look, how does it feel to not have a 500 winning team? But um, do I think they'll continue to slide? Um, I, I come back to the one point. I don't think the Orioles have swept in New York in what a long freaking time. I don't think they've done it as of the past five years. They've always done like we take two out of three, but we're never able to take that third game. Mm-hmm. If someone actually knows that they've done it in the Buckshot Walter era, let me know because I might be wrong about that. Tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. But I'm pretty sure they've only taken two out of three in New York. So to a certain regard, you come back to, you know, it would take a thing that's never been done by the Buck Walter era to do to sweep the Yankees. And then you're going to have to have a really good game or series against the Jays in order to be competitive here. I said earlier this week, I don't think the Orioles can afford to have any more than two losses. Um, there are a lot of people that disagreed with me. Uh, I might disagree with myself now that the <laughs> Tigers have lost a few games. Um, but as of last week when uh, the Red Sox series had ended and I was, I would say, somewhat heartbroken, I thought two more losses was basically all we had left in us. So that might be a little bit different now that um, I can see further in the schedule. And people did point that out to me as well and say, hey, dum-dum, you can't predict baseball. You need to let everything happen. So I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. My numbers clearly say this. But you guys are right. Let, let's just say that much. You guys are right. So you think a split does it? You know what? Um, let's get into those details uh, in our next segment. So close. I feel like it's been a while. I think it has. All right, so Jake, we did infield hits last week, um, and we did an over and under a three and a half. You went with the under. I was very excited to get the over, and the number came out as three. So we did a great job picking. Setting the line was perfect. Picking, setting the line was great. Uh, so you go ahead 13 to 11 to one with one week left. So here's the situation. I need to uh, basically win this week and hopefully hit a wild card and, or two or two and just and, and hope and pray something happens. Um, 
there will always be an asterisk by this year for this wild card sh- shenanigans that has been pulled out. Hey, look, just because you can't play the game doesn't mean you have to hate the game. Yeah, it's it's some game. That's all I can say. Um, so we were talking before we entered into fantasy ball stuff. You know, all they need to do is, is split. So um, with that, I thought a, a nice category would be um, how many losses we think the Baltimore Orioles are going to have in this given week. Oh, man. All right, so... <laughs> How is this going to work, though? I'm going to pick a number. You're going to pick a number. What if they don't get that number? Is it just going to be another tie? Um, let's do this. Um, we're going to do an over and under. Oh my. I know we're going to set the line. And where am I going to set the line? Three and a half. Three and a half. Exactly. Oh, I'm going to set an over and under at three and a half. And I want you to tell me how many losses the Orioles are going to have under or over. All right. So I have to take either the over or the under? Yes. All right. I'm going to take the under. All right. Thank God. I'm going to take the over and at least probably to have something to fall back on. But I really do hope you win this week. Let's just say that much. You hope that the Orioles are under th- uh, four, uh, three and a half wins? Three. Oh, we were doing losses. Oh, losses. Oh, okay. We're doing losses. Well, then I, I was I was tricked into being optimistic. I'll keep it. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Right. Yeah, you're no, gonna be, I'm suddenly the optimist. You're no. Gonna, you're going to be the optimist. Whew. Yeah, you're going to be the optimist. That's one too many gin and tonics, yeah. sir. All right. So we will go with that for Fantasy Boss. Everyone... It is the week of Jake. Let us hope that he wins, and we'll go from there. In all, the Orioles season comes down to my luck and fantasy, boss. Yes. We are not in a good place. So, folks, if uh, the Orioles do not get uh, the necessary wins, just go back and blame Jake. Some, some of your hate, man. Yes, exactly. With that, let's go ahead and dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, this is where we go through and let us, you know, what happened this week in terms of Orioles baseball or eh, whatever we decide to choose and talk about. So, Jake, why don't you go ahead and start uh, with your good for the week? I'm going to go and give it to Trey Mancini. He'll always be this good, right? Trey mm-hmm. Mancini is never going to let us down. He had a weighted runs created plus of 385. Wow. And it'll never dip down below that, sir. He had uh, in 12. Uh, at bats, uh, possibly played appearances, a uh, a single, a double, three home runs. But to cap it all off, he had the amazing reaction of his parents caught on film on the Masson broadcast this week. Trey Mancini called up to the bigs and delivering is good. So my good for the week is going to have to go to Trey Mancini's mom. I mean, no, wait, I didn't actually mean that. My good for the week actually is going to go to Wade Miley, who really had um, a great effort on Saturday uh, in aspect, you know, going almost a complete game uh, and saving the bullpen um, after a really long extra innings game on Friday night. Uh, it kind of gave a win to the Orioles also on Sunday by allowing the Orioles to come in and basically say, we're going to go Givens and we're going to go Brock and we're going to go Britain. Preserving that bullpen and allowing them to do that on Sunday allowed the Orioles to basically claim a 2-1 victory, which is extremely rare for the Baltimore Orioles. So Wade Miley, in essence, by doing what he did on Saturday, almost gave the Orioles two victories this week and at a desperate time. And I will feel far less panicked the next time he takes them out. I'm not sure I'm going to feel good about it, 
Yeah. But I'll be less panicked. And if you are panicked about it, it'll just flip you off. So <laughs> my bad this week is going to go to Kevin Gosman's loss to the Red Sox. It sucked because he just handled them, manhandled them in Fenway. Came back, his next start was uh, was not so good. He gave up more earned runs than his last, I don't know, six starts combined or something like that. Ten hits, a walk, five earned runs in crunch time in a desperately needed series. We turned the ball over to him. We needed him. He just just didn't have it. Yeah. Speaking about a pitcher that didn't have it, Chris Tillman, um, only going inning in two-thirds against the Boston Red Sox. We talked about this before with the Baltimore Menace. Chris Tillman was at best effectively wild, but he was blooped and blinked and blopped all over the place. Doink. He just could not get a batter out. Anything he tried, it wasn't enough. So I hope that's not a reflection of what's going to happen for the rest of the season with Chris Tillman or during the playoffs. But Chris Tillman certainly was bad. Um, and let's hope he comes back to good in the near future. I talked about not feeling quite so bad about Wade Miley. I have a confidence issue with Tillman next time I see him. Yeah, which raises a question of if you're going into a wild card game or any play-in game, are you going to Chris Tillman? I mean, honestly, Russian roulette at this point, right? I think just go to with Obaldo Menez and just be like, if we're going to make our bed with it, let's make our bed full up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my ugly... <laughs> that might as well be my ugly for this week. It's like, I need more gin in here. <laughs> Stat. Uh, my ugly for this week is being eliminated from division contention. And sure, the Orioles are still very, very much in the wild card race and may very well make it into the playoffs. But anytime you are eliminated from division contention, it hurts. And there were so many years that I watched the elimination number, the E number in the standings, fall and fall and fall, you know, in July and in August. Um, but the fact that we're here in late September and it's just now upon us, that hurts. Mm-hmm. And in a way, you know, I guess it's kind of good that it hurts. But it hurts. So my ugly is is uh, not being able to compete for the AL East uh, division crown. Sure. Uh, my bad ugly for the week is actually going to go. I had two here, but I really think I'm going to go with Jonathan Scope, who's really looked um, abysmal at the plate. You know, we were talking about it watching the game. Jonathan Scope's doing a great job in the field, um, showing some great defensive range, doing a great job in turning the double play. But at the plate, Jonathan Scope is at best a subpar offensive um, offensive factor right now. He's kind of regressed from his you know 2015 partial season and also the beginning of this 2016 season, and has returned to 2014 Jonathan Scope, where he was posting a 60 weighted runs created plus. He looks completely lost to the plate and doesn't know exactly what's going on. Is it a slump? I don't know. It just doesn't look like the Johnson scope that was promised to us as the breakout season slash all-star. Yeah, Johnson scope has 24 home runs in the season, but right now it doesn't look like he's ever going to hit another one. And um, a a part of me is sad about that, but a part of me thinks Jabby Burns is going to be owing me some beer in in the near future. So um, Jabby Burns, you better buy that craft beer because I don't think he's going to hit that 26 and a half, but I will point this out. Jonathan Scope right now is at 24 home runs. If he gets 27 home runs, the Orioles will be going to the playoffs this year, guaranteed. Not just Tito's on the line. Not just Tito's on the line. You got the playoffs on the line, Jabby. So um, go talk to your boy and make sure that happens. Um, Anything else with good, bad, and the ugly? No, although I, I will say that you said you had two things, and you wrote down here, 
JS or BS? Yes. Were you going to beat up on Buck Showalter? I was going to beat up a little bit on Buck Showalter. Tell you what, why don't you blow the save with yeah. some Buck Showalter I'm going to blow the save on some Buck Showalter hate. All right, so we, we've talked about this earlier this year, about Buck Showalter seems to be coming under a lot of controversy and a lot of questioning. I bring this up because we talked about it earlier in the show uh, with Hunsu Kim being pinch hit. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, don't quite understand it. Don't quite agree with it, but it is what it is. But there's been a lot of other weird moves is the best way to describe it. Let's go back to Friday's game with J.J. Hardy being thrown out at the plate. Um, and Buckshot Walter was asked about it at the end of Friday's game. And he's like, you know, if we were on the road, I probably would have substituted uh, substituted, for Infl- uh, substituted Hardy there for you know somebody. But I didn't really feel like that was necessary right now. I, this escapes my logic to a certain regard. If you are going to go for the win, which in this case you want to go for the win, why not do it? You've got Paul Yanish on the team. You've got Ryan Flaherty on the team. Why not make use as best as possible to the utility infielders that you have available? Buck has been making a lot of almost over-management moves, as it, it feels like lately. And again, I'm not here to judge him. He's been pretty much perfect over the past few years. But something feels off this year with Buck, and I can't put my finger on it and figure out what exactly is going on. It almost seems like Buck is pushing a little bit. And I hope it doesn't come back to bite us in the playoffs. Because if it does, it's going to be a, a terrible offseason with people calling for his head. I've seen people call for Buckshaw Walter's head. There's no need to call for Buckshaw Walter's head. I think people feel fail to realize how good we have it in Birdland at this moment and over the past few years. I've seen people say, well, Buck should go out there and call his, how to, out his players when they don't perform in a certain situation. Well, we remember managers that did that. Phil Reagan did that, remember, with the media and said, well, it's not my fault that the team is losing. Go ask the players. It's their team. And the clubhouse was immediately lost, and he never became manager again. Buck Walter is a gift to Birdland. But that doesn't mean that you can't question and say to yourself, that's a really weird move based off the statistics or the given situation. So Birdland, keep an eye on it. Um, but let's hope that we don't get into a certain, a certain aspect of their playoffs bucked out of the playoffs. It's like Yost did out of the playoffs. Hey, Scott, like that? I like our guy. Yeah, I, I like our guy a lot, too. I hope he sticks around for a n- number of years. Ooh, oh man, that was a that was a podcast. It's crunch time. It has been crunch time. I don't know about you, um, but it has definitely been a, a lot of baseball going on lately. I can't tell if I love or hate baseball this week. So I, I got this really cool watch that measures heart rate, <laughs> and we were at the Friday game, and uh, my heart rate, you know, normally is like sixty-ish or so, went all the way up to like one hundred and seventy during the ninth inning. So yeah, a little bit of. Um, heart uh, problems lately in Birdland. So keep up the faith, Birdland. It's going to be a great week. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing else, so I'll bid you all a fun adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. By the way, Cito sucks, right? Absolutely. Remember to tell your kids to time it. Here it comes.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh.